Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, for a round two, we have the one and only Mr. Devin Reed. He's over at Clary. He's running content marketing. Nick, why should people listen? Devin does a phenomenal job controlling the sale and the way that the buyer goes through their evaluation of your thing, but doing it in a way that everything he does is in the buyer's best interest and framed in the buyer's best interest. So if you want to understand how to get the buyer to follow you in navigating the buying journey, Devin does a really good job articulating how to articulate that to the customer. And if you're having trouble closing a lead, a three, a two, a one, here is Devin Reed. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto-reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press Command H, and Superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of Superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. 
All right, Devin, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right. First is the left out question. So most sellers, when they want to get to the decision maker, they ask, so Armand, who's the decision maker? And that irritates and at worst pisses off your champion or point of contact because it feels like you're trying to go over their head. So instead, what you want to do is use this question to surface stakeholders at any point of the sales process. So we're just going to ask, hey, Armand, who would feel left out if they missed the demo? Boom. What's number two? Number two is guide the process with typically. Everybody wants to be uh, move from a sales rep to the trusted advisor. This is one of the best ways to do it. So because there's safety with numbers, this phrasing typically signals that you're guiding them down a common and proven path, plus that you've done this before. But tone is super important. You have to make it confident. You can't hit the high-pitched, eh, typically we... No, that's not going to work. It has to be... So Armand, typically what we do next is, and you roll right into whatever that next step is. Nice. Devin, typically now we would move to tip number three, so round <laughs> us out. All right. Tip number three is don't create ROI calculations and present them as truth. Because here's why. They're extremely biased, and anyone that's been around the block once or twice, especially any CFO, is going to know this. Because if you think about it, every single time that a sales rep completes an ROI calculator, it always benefits them. You never punch one in, finish it, and go, oh, actually, Miss Prospect, ROI is terrible. You should not do business with us. So for that reason, they don't work. So there's four things you should do instead. First, co-create your ROI calculation with your champion and then again with the CFO. Two, lead with hard ROI, aka cost savings. Third, focus on time to value, which is how quickly they'll get some return on their investment, often by measuring change management. And the fourth one is make time savings and productivity gains the sweetener, not the core value. So typically at the end of a sales call, Devin, you wouldn't just pepper someone with discovery questions and then jump off the call and hope that they buy the thing. You would normally leave five to 10 minutes at the end of a call to cover next steps. Can you talk about how you're using typically language or really how do you use the last five to 10 minutes after a discovery call, assuming it's gone well to continue driving the sales cycle forward? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing is most buyers don't really know how to buy. Maybe what we've all sold like 25% are actually really skilled and kind of know what's coming next. So you want to use that typically language to guide them and say, Hey, here's what's next in the process. This is what everybody does. When they go to buy this thing, people just like you, here's what they do. And so I just lead right into it from there. So, Hey, Armand, we just wrapped this up. Typically the next step is, I don't know, you know, a group demo with the team you just mentioned or whatever it is for your sales process. So I roll it in that way and I map it out step by step. Don't stack it all up. Like then we're going to do this. Then we're going to do this. Then we're going to do this. By the third thing you list, the second thing is already forgotten. So list one thing at a time, pause. Devin, one thing that I've been struggling with recently is sometimes there's a lot of complexity with my deals and there's multiple concurrent steps. And Sometimes I legitimately don't know what the next sequential thing like must be. Do you have any advice for me if I'm like, should it be this? Should it be that? What should I be saying at the end if I'm not totally sure? Are you using mutual action plans? The reason why I ask is that's usually the best place. And you can start uh, in that last five to 10 minutes, pull one up, even if it's a rough template and start mapping it out together. Because here's the thing, a sales rep, you're leading, but you're not creating plans in a vacuum. 
And uh, there's actually a lot of research that shows that people will be more bought in, they will follow through more often if you co create a plan together, because they will feel that they contributed to this plan, therefore, they have ownership, therefore, they're responsible. Mm -hmm. and they will be accountable to actually doing it. So you can pull up that mutual action plan, just start throwing puzzle pieces down. That's what I say. I don't know if they're in the right order. I don't know if this is a corner, an edge, a middle piece, but we're just going to throw it all down. Then you go back to your process. Hey, which one of these do you think should we should do first? And if it's a bad idea, then call it out and say, okay, that may, you know, like you, you just workshop it together for the next few minutes. Then by the end, you have a mutual action plan that was co-created and you both are like, feel really good about. And so you can just follow the steps from there. Devin, how do you think about how many steps you lay out and which ones are most important to get alignment on? The reason that I ask is you say, say this would be the next step, pause, the next step, pause. My guess is you don't do every single step for 10 yeah. minutes all the way through contract signature. So how yeah. far down do you lead your prospect in the sales process? Look at your feet and then look at the horizon. So what's right in front of you that we have to do next? And what's the next thing over the horizon that you can still see? If you start going over that, I can no longer imagine it as easily. I can't see it in my mind's eye. And it also starts to stack. Like we're stacking. It's like, oh shit, this feels like work. There's a lot going on. People can get resistant. So I would say like probably only three steps max. And if you're sharing a mutual action plan, if there's already pre-built steps in, the only thing I would make sure is in there are the, what could be the confrontational or the highly contentious things like talk to your CFO, include business leader or stakeholder VP, whatever you want to language you want to use. Because what that does, even if you don't say anything, as soon as you show words on the screen, what do people do? Start reading them and you're priming them early that, oh, typically Nick, when he's selling this thing, talks to these people. You don't even have to address it yet because it's probably too premature, especially if you're in that like discovery phase. Well, what happens when you we call this next, next steps at times. In other words, you're, what you almost want to do is you want to know what you're going to ask for at the end of the next meeting and tee that up today. So it's not a surprise, right? right? And then what you get them to do is by opting into the next meeting, they are implicitly opting in that yeah. if that meeting goes well, I'm aligned with where this thing is going. And so oftentimes the best time to seed the ask for power is at the end of a killer discovery call and take it off the sure. table where you say, look, typically a next step from here would be, we would go through a deep dive demo. We would walk you through how this thing works. And if that goes well, we would oftentimes get in front of your VP of sales, right? But yep. first we want to make sure you're on board. Does that sound like a plan? So you've almost soft floated the ask to power yep. and you've let it sit for a second while you're on good terms with them instead of getting to the end of the demo and being like, surprise, now I want to see your boss, right? Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about when the prospect struggles with the puzzle. And I'm, I'm specifically referring to the sort of multi-threading component where one of your takeaways in the beginning was, hey, you asked the question, who else would feel left out? And the intent there is, start, is to start to multi-thread with teammates of theirs who can make a valuable contribution to the sale. What do you do when they say, you know, uh, Armand, our, you know, our intern who just started a week ago and, you know, they're going to be fired next week. They're only here a weekly. Like, what do you do if they suggest someone, I'm sorry, I'm ripping on you, Armand. What do you do if they suggest someone who's like, shouldn't be involved in that sale and you know it? 
Uh, yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Cause last thing you want is 20, either 21 on one calls that you shouldn't have or a group group call that's going to go, uh, go off, uh, off to right field. So, uh, the first thing I do is validate. Cause you don't just ask them who would feel left out. If they say the intern and you say, no, <laughs> you're losing credibility and trust pretty quickly. So I'd validate. It's like, Oh, it sounds great. It sounds like the intern's really important. Can you help me understand how in the last time you bought something that this person contributed? One or two things happens. Somehow the intern was super important and now you know, or they'll kind of realize, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, Doug, you know, he's, he sat in on a couple calls, but he, he's not really the one who like decides anything. Oh, okay, cool. Well, hey, it sounds like Doug is happy to listen or I can even send him the recording afterwards. But who else would you say would feel left out? And you're not trying to get one person, you're trying to get the roster, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't need to get, if it's 10 people and you're doing complex sales, obviously don't try to get everybody at once. What you're really trying to do is who definitely needs to be involved in the next step I'm on to your point or the next, next step, yeah. right. And try to figure that out. So I think you can kind of flip it and go like, who's involved in the last decision or how did the last you know decision get made? And you can start to figure out who those folks are. And then you loop in that typically language with your next, next step. And you fill in the blanks with actual people versus like head of whatever department you're selling to. I love this concept of building the roster of who will be important in a purchasing decision. Let's say even if we're in like an upper mid market or like a lower enterprise sale, that roster might be five plus people. And you said you don't want to shotgun them all at once. Can you talk about how you carve that roster up and how you decide who you should be getting in front of first? Yeah. So I think the first thing is to, I want to say ignore titles for a second, maybe postpone them. Cause you're what I mean. I'm a director at a 1000 person series F whatever alphabet letter we're at. So we're pretty mature. We're not a startup, but we're a pretty you know decent sized tech company. I have a lot of purchasing power in terms of finding out what I want, why I want it, deciding the vendor and negotiating price all by myself. My boss specifically a VP does not want to be involved and trust me to make those decisions. But a lot of reps would be like, well, you're, I'm at the director level, but I'm not at the VP. I'm not at the VP. And so I think you can make some uh, miscalculated uh, assumptions that I have to get to the VP. You do, but for what reason? It's not for vendor selection, right? And so I think the point is like, who is involved in the decision and what are their roles? And then if you turn me, the director, into a champion, I have a budget, so you can have some. I'll tell you what it is if you've earned that right. I'll take you to the VP if I think it's necessary, but I'll also tell you, which I've told Nick, I'm going to skip the VP and I'm going to take you somewhere else because I actually know that's the way to get things done here, right? And so I think too, that's why it's important to have built up that trust and use some of the techniques we've been talking about where you're not you know, ramming your way through the front door to get a deal done, but you're like on the same side of the table with your champion and you're uncovering and problem solving and mapping this out together. So Devin, let's assume that you've carved up your roster and you did what the right thing to do, which is you set up this next step. And that next step might include other people who are at or slightly above the line. Maybe it doesn't include the head, head honcho, right? And this person goes offline. And as they bring that group together, before the call, they say, hey, one of the things that the group asked me to do is get a sense of how much this costs ahead of our call. I know you have some interesting tactics behind how you deliver pricing over a call and also what happens if you don't get a clear response there. Can you talk about how I would handle an ask like that when it's off of a call and they're asking me for commercial terms when I don't necessarily want to give them? So I'll do something probably counterintuitive, uh, which is one, I'm not going to give pricing, but I'm going to do it in a way that's uh, probably abnormal, which is I'm going to claim confusion. I'm going to say, oh, Armand, I would love to. 
I genuinely have no idea what I would price you because we're not even close to scoping out the impact that we can have and who all would be involved. So maybe we go through this demo as we planned, scope it out a little bit more. And, and either by the end of that or the next call, me and you can sync up, really figure this thing out and give you a more precise price point instead of a you know $50,000 pricing band uh, that doesn't really help answer your question. Two things that that I think about in this situation. One is... I think a lot of salespeople sell and they, they think about their identity as a salesperson where because they've done all this product training and sales training, they have to come across as like an extremely smart and competent professional. And sometimes when you're, you almost play the opposite of that, where you're a little bit confused, you're a little bit like slow to catch up, yeah. you're, you're asking them for clarification. I, I don't even know where to start with this pricing. It feels weird for your like self-identity and ego to say that. But in reality, it's the best thing for the sale. And what you're not doing here is trying to be deceptive or hurt the customer. Like you genuinely want to know more about their situation to give them an accurate quote. And if they push you, you could probably give them a range. But the intent here is to not um, be the person who's so quick to give them an answer because you could probably go spend 15 hours searching in your CRM for a similar customer and give them a quote. And that's not the intent. You're trying to actually have a real conversation. Um, so let's go to, you've done the demo, you've given them some pricing, they've got a proposal, um, and you're, they're supposed to be on the calendar for a next step. But for whatever reason, they missed that meeting, and now you're on to email only, and you haven't heard back from them. You were talking about this interesting law called Cunningham Law and how you use it to follow up. Can you talk to me about what that looks like? Yes. I love all things that are like internet phenomena, uh, which is what this is. So <clears throat> Cunningham's law is the idea that you are more likely to get an accurate uh, answer from the internet if you propose the wrong answer instead of asking for the right answer. So instead of asking a question, like you might get crickets, but if you propose the wrong answer or an incomplete answer, the internet will swarm in, tell you you're right, wrong, ugly, and all the things in between, uh, and you will get an answer. And so I caught wind of this and thought it was fascinating. And so I said, what if you could try that in sales? And so what I'll do is I'll use this into a follow-up email, right? So for example, you know, hey, Nick, um, you know, typically when I don't hear back after sharing pricing, it's usually because of one of these reasons. One, pricing doesn't fit your budget and you're too nice to tell me. Uh, two, life happened and you're simply busy. Or three, this project got deprioritized, so pricing doesn't make sense right now. Let me know if it's one of these or something else, all good either way. Very passive, I'm not, I'm not demanding an answer, I'm not being cute. I'm providing either three easy to choose options that are very possibly accurate or leaving the door open to, well, back to confusion. I don't know everything, so you tell me. And uh, I've tested this out, like I said, in a small batch with my consulting and I genuinely get a 100% reply rate within 24 hours. And it's always with additional context that isn't on my email. So people say, oh, no, Devin's none of that. I got COVID last week. I've been out for seven days, haven't looked at a computer. Still on track. Let's talk in two days or something like that. Love that. And so let's say I finally get the response from the champion that I needed. We get onto a call and really the next step in the sales cycle is this proposal call, right? So for the sake of right now, let's assume that we've delivered price. And this is something that we know sellers are struggling with a ton is deals are getting axed left and right by finance. And what it sounds like is, okay, I need to go run this by my CFO, or I need to go and 
make a proposal to finance. So when I hear those things from my champion in that pricing conversation, what do I do in that moment in time? So this is where you turn on extreme curiosity and you need to map out anything and everything that could happen on that call. So I think the first bridge is, or the first fork in the road is, am I going to be in that meeting or am I not going to be in that meeting? And so you can lead with that or not. But I think the way I would probably start is like, all right, cool. Like first, like validate that you just, you know, got this person to say this proposal looks good. Yeah. Awesome. Really excited about this with you. Um, so when you go to take this to your VP, like what's that conversation look like? Super open-ended, genuine curiosity in my tone. And I'm trying to figure out how this person is going to go about selling it internally. Now, the things I actually listen for a lot are the tone of that person's response. If they're like, Nick, not a problem. I know there's, you know, my voice even got deeper. I know there's $300,000 in budget. We're going to get this thing done. I've done it, blah, 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 blah. Probably like leaning towards confidence. If it's like, uh, you know, Nick, uh, my one-on-one's next Thursday. And so, yeah, I'll probably bring it up then. That is like 10 yellow, maybe red flags. Like you need to get involved. And so, um, you can go into it and, and basically doing discovery of what that call will look like and start to understand and ask what could go wrong. Hmm. What does this person care about? What do they not care about? What was the last thing that they approved? What was the last thing that they didn't approve? Why? Obviously, you're not going to fire these off all in a row the way I am, but you need to start figuring that out. And then the way I do it is, is an offer. I don't demand to be in that meeting. I offer it. Hey, it sounds like you got it pretty covered, but I've been selling this thing for three years and I know we just met four weeks ago. Uh, would it be helpful just to have me in that call? I'll be a fly on the wall until you call on me, but I'd love to be there just to support you. However you want to word it, do it for your own style. I would say 50-50 if people go, yeah, I'd love to have you there. Actually, not a problem. Or, uh, no, nah, I'm not comfortable. And if they say you're they're not comfortable, you should ask why. And I don't mean you ram through and make sure you're in the meeting, but you should understand like, Someone saying they're not comfortable is a, is a big flag. So it sounds like you're coaching that person through almost asking them about how the meeting is going to go and having them envision being in that meeting so that they've had a, a practice run. So when the real yep. thing happens, they're a bit more equipped. Armand, it sounds like your team might be actually pushing to get face-to-face -face with finance. Can you, can you tell me about that? Yeah, well, what I want to do is tie together two things that Devin has done throughout the interview that may or may not have even been intentional tactics. So I want to go all the way back to the intern example, right? Where he didn't want to get introduced to the lowly intern, Nick, neither would I. I wouldn't even want to talk to him if he was the VP of sales. But the way that he got out of that ask was he asked questions. He didn't say, no, that's not the right person. He asked questions that led them to realize they didn't have the right answer. He said, yep. how has that person influenced a buying decision before? Right. And what Devin is doing is with finance, he's doing the exact same thing. And he's trying to understand with curiosity, how are you going to handle that conversation? Have you had a conversation like this before? What are you going to do when they push back? And then what you can do is when the person doesn't have the answers to those questions, you can say, hey, let me help you, right? I want to make sure that I can help you solve this problem. And that's exactly the same way that I, I like to approach it is if you just ask to be put in front of finance, right, they're going to get defensive about it, right? Yep. But if you make it clear that you have the keys to the car that will help them there through questions, that's how you get in front of finance the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Self-realization. You know what I mean? Letting them come to the conclusion of, oh, I'm not as ready as maybe I should be. Well said.
So can we talk about, Devin, let's assume in the best case scenario, we are about to get in front of finance, okay? So I have a champion who is now in agreement that you and I are going to go together in front of your CFO. What do I do to prepare for that conversation and how should I be running that call with a CFO who may or may not know what I do at all? So I think the first thing not to do is assume you're a business expert on their behalf. You, you'll never know. You'll never know more than they do. And I think that's okay. And so one of the mistakes I think is going in to be, uh, you know, Nick, I stole this from you, to be approved, not improved. So like, hey, here's this thing. I built it. I did it. My goal is just to get you to stamp it. I don't really want to hear anything. I just want you to stamp it. Uh, that almost never happens. And that's because that is literally the job of a CFO or procurement is to protect the business. And they're never going to trust an outside salesperson to have the best interest of their business in mind top down. So go into it. Again, extreme curiosity. Reconfirm all of the uh, value and the business case that you've created. Mention as many people in your organization that you've actually worked with to mm -hmm. show like, hey, I, I've got, I went wide here, right? It's going to build trust and credibility. Um, and then ask for their input. My goal for this meeting is to get your input. I want your fingerprints on what we talk about today. You've just opened up the door. And when you walk into that meeting, it's, I'm assuming it's you, your champion, CFO, and maybe a couple other finance folks from their side. What does the sort of balance of running the meeting look like between you and your champion? Are you taking the charge right away? Are you asking them to kick the meeting off? What does that look like? I would enable and empower your champion to do as much talking and selling as possible. They, your CFO works with them, trusts them, and they're looking for competency. They're saying, does this, you know, this director of VP coming to me, asking for budget, knowing the environment we're in right now, do they really know why they're making this decision? Can mm -hmm. they really articulate the impact? Because if they can't, sales reps only going to be here for a couple more weeks. Yeah. As soon as it's signed, they're gone. You're going to get a CSM, but we all know, you know, we all get CSMs, whatever. So I would lean on them as much as possible um, and only come in to supplement where necessary. If you've done your job leading to this call, you shouldn't have to talk much. I mean, this is a theme that you've brought up again and again and again. Everything that you are doing is coming from the standpoint of it is in the best interest of the other person who would feel left out if they didn't see the demo. This is why you're signing by X date because of this problem you're trying to solve that has an urgency right. attached to it, making them look good in front of the CFO. Everything here is designed to keep the other person's best interest in mind, which makes them take the action that you're asking them to take. The action yep. I'm going to ask you to take is we're running out of time. And so we've got to move to the final question, Devin. The last question is this. We've talked about a lot of really good things salespeople should be doing. We're going to ask you now about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? Yes. And uh, having been a salesperson for six, seven years, I've done what I'm about to say to stop doing. So I'm not finger wagging. Um, but so now that I'm uh, you know, director level marketing, I get hit up all the time for prospecting. I'm in a million cadences for some, for some reps at any given time. The thing that I see happen almost every morning when I check my inbox is, hey, Devin, you never responded to my email. Drives me crazy. And the reason why you should stop doing it, not just because it drives Devin Reed crazy, is because you are projecting guilt. That is the emotion you're projecting. Hey, you didn't do this thing that I wanted you to do. Guess what? I never said I would. I don't even know you. So that doesn't really do anything except for one, remind me that I already decided previously not to reply to you. 
or two, just make it really easy to delete. As soon as I see that email, I just delete it or I look for the unsubscribe button. So that's what not to do. Don't lead with guilt, however you want to word that. Um, if you're looking for a fix, cut it. Just cut it and get right to the point. That's the easiest thing. Or you, we can go a whole new episode on you know hooks, triggers, and ways to get people to respond over email. Boom. Devin, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Devin Reed include number one, at the end of the call, use typically language to not just set the next steps, but the next next steps that are at your feet and at your horizon of the deal. Number two, if someone suggests the wrong person to multi-thread to, don't just tell them they are wrong. Ask how that person was involved in past purchases, and they'll usually figure out that it's probably not the right person to loop in. Number three, when your champion is proposing to finance, first you need to figure out if you are going to be in that room. If you are not, then you need to ask them questions about how that conversation will go and what could go wrong so you can prepare them for that conversation. And lastly, number four, the reason that you drive timeline cannot just be your discount. It needs to be the biggest thing that you've learned that is in their interest, not just in your interest. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out? There is a lot of really crappy sales advice on LinkedIn, but it doesn't come from Devin Reed. Devin actually does a really good job um, on LinkedIn, sharing written best practices of stuff that he's learned um, at a bunch of pretty high high growth tech companies. So my recommendation for you all is connect with Devin, let him know that you heard about him on the 30 Minutes to President's Club podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, let him know that also. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. 
Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.